My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. This morning, we're just going to do something very simple. I have a deep conviction I want to share with you, a deep conviction that drives so much of the ministry we do around here, certainly colors everything we do around here. I want to unpack that conviction for you and tell you why I think this is important. Here's my conviction. I believe that emotional maturity colors spiritual maturity. I believe that we cannot divorce emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. We do so to our own spiritual demise. Now, what in the world am I talking about? I'm asking the question, can someone be considered spiritually mature if they are emotionally immature? Anybody ever heard of the game Othello? Othello is this board game that has these round tiles. One side is black, one side is white, and you're just trying to flip tiles. The tagline for the game Othello says this. Othello, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. A minute to learn, a lifetime to master. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, gives a command in the middle of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It is the Othello of commands, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. Here's what he says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Or as the NIV says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be sincere, without hypocrisy. Nothing will hinder your belief that you really can grow and that you can change like hypocrisy. I'm not talking about leakage, all right? We all leak, right? We all have those moments where we lose our temper, where we get really scared and we run and hide. We all leak. I'm not talking about leaking. I'm talking about hypocrisy. I'm talking about that couple that they're spiritual leaders in a community. They lead a marriage class and they're reaming you out because you're in that marriage class and you don't do a date night with your spouse. And they're just, blah, 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 blah. you should do a date night. You know, your marriage is going to fall apart if you don't do a date night. And you're like, ah! You feel really bad. But every Sunday, you go out in the parking lot and you see the married couple that leads that marriage class screaming at each other in the parking lot. You're like, well, guess I'm okay. I don't do that. Hypocrisy. That's what we're talking about here. If we're going to be people who, who our love is without hypocrisy, where it's coming from a genuine place, if, if, if it's just coming from it's just an overflow of who we are, our love for another, we have to talk about emotions. We have to. Last week we gave the 50,000 foot view. We said, hey, we're emotional people because we're in the image of an emotional God. Our emotions, like anger, fear, joy, surprise, those are not a glitch in our algorithm. We are emotional people because we're in the image of an emotional God. God has emotions. He made us with emotions on purpose. This week, we're trying to get practical with our theology. We need to be reminded as much as we need to be taught. Right, we love getting taught. We love learning new things about the Bible. And I affirm that. I affirm that. We want to be, be Bible nerds. All right? And 
we are forgetful people who are prone to wander. We are forgetful people. And so how do we be people who really do mature in our emotions? We talk a lot around here about mission. We want to be on mission. We really do want this to be a place where you're excited for your friends to come here. Where your unbelieving friends are like, man, I can't wait for them to hear this. We really do want to create space for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story. That's, that's one side of this ladder. But the other side of that ladder is we want to be healthy while we do that. And if that means slowing this side of the ladder down, we're going to do that so we can be healthy. Right? There's all kinds of reasons people can want to do things. And we want to just be curious, what's driving us? Right? Are there these external factors like people-pleasing? Man, I, I just, I, I want to go to a, a cool church. I want to go to a church that's known for X, Y, Z. So I'm motivated to just really create that. We don't want to be, that, that would, in my, that would be love. That's not coming from a place that's genuine. We want, we want an overflow of who we are to just spill out and be healthy. I mean, this affects everything. Kids' ministry. We want to create space for kids in a way that is discipling, following Jesus, creating space for them, laying a foundation for union with Christ in a way that's healthy. Student ministry. This affects that. How are we helping students navigate all the messages they're receiving all the time? How are we walking with them toward emotional health? We really don't think we can divorce our spiritual maturity from our emotional maturity. And it's going to take work. It is way easier to just keep your hand to the plow and run. Just stay busy for Jesus. And you've got this, your spirituality becomes kind of this like anxious, frenetic energy. Like, ah, like I, I remember uh, I was at the beach and there was this guy walking around with like those um, sandwich board signs. And on the, on the front it said, Jesus is coming. And on the back it said, so look busy. Right? Like, is that what our, is that what our spiritual maturity is? It's like, ah, Jesus, he's really hard to please. So we've got to keep running. See, the reason Paul can make this Othello-type command, where he can say, let's not let our love be genuine. Let it come from our heart. Let it flow from a place of being, is because that's the then of an if statement. Here's the, here's the if statement. If this is true, then we can do this. In Romans 6.14, Paul drops a bomb, and he says this, you are no longer under external pressures to be godly, you're under grace. Here's how he says it in Romans 6.14. We're no, no, we're no longer under the law. We are under grace, under unmerited favor. We are loved by God. And as we focus on that being, as we, as we pay attention to what's nourishing us, the overflow of that will be a love that's without hypocrisy. So if this is true, this is the result. The passage we're going to look at today is just the, it's the bedrock for these two statements. See, sometimes Paul can be really confusing because he'll make a statement and then he'll be like, wow, this is really interesting. I'm going to chase this for a while. You know, and it's divinely inspired. So it's like, yeah, let's chase that. And then he goes back to the thing you're talking about and you're like, what? How did we? 
So here's, here's the flow. We're going to be looking in Romans 7 today where Paul lays a foundation to say, hey, we can become emotionally mature people by focusing on being, not doing. Here's, what he, here's the heart of what Romans 7, 1 through 6 says. Being bears fruit. That's counterintuitive to the messages we're receiving. You want to mature? What time are you waking up? You want to mature? Who's in your accountability group? You want to mature? What are you doing? Paul says we mature by being. We are forgetful people who are prone to wander, and we need to remind ourselves who God is and what he's done. And that nourishes us, and it produces fruit. That's, that's the heart of Paul's argument. Being produces fruit. Being produces fruit. So we're going to unpack that. How can Paul say we're under grace? That means we love from a genuine place. It's because being produces fruit. Well, how do, we, how do we get practical with that? How do we live that out in our emotional lives? How do we live that out together in our, in our youth groups, in our children's ministry, in our connection groups, in our service to the community? How do we be people who are maturing emotionally? Do you know what I mean when I say emotional maturity? Look, if you're 50 years old, if you're 50 years old, you, you ha- your maturity level should be that of a 50-year-old. Right? If you're an emotional 35, we've got some maturing to do, right? But if you're, if you're 19, you're not going to be an emotionally mature 50-year-old. All right? Emotional maturity is I'm responding in a way that's appropriate to the stage and season of life I'm in. Right? When you're a baby, emotional maturity looks like I have a need and I just let somebody know I have a need. How do I do that? Ah! That's emotional maturity and we celebrate that. Right, that's, man, it's a, mature, it's a mature set of lungs there. All right, as we get older, we learn to be able to tell people our needs. Hey, I'm, mom and dad, I'm sick. That's, that's that expressing our needs. That's emotional maturity. If we get stunted along the way and we can't express our needs, we go through life in a way that's just like not integrated. Right? And then as we get older, we learn to take care of others. We, uh, hopefully. That's the, and then as we get really older, we learn to take care of communities. We learn to take care of lots of others. A lot of us, though, hit bumps in the road in our emotional maturity and we stay at a spot. So we're like not, something happens and we don't even express our needs. We just expect everybody to be able to read our minds. Well, so-and-so didn't say hi to me. That's because they're awful. Did they know to say hi to you? They should. They absolutely should. That's emotional immaturity. You're not expressing your needs. Hey, I'd like to connect with you, right? How do we be people who are emotionally maturing in a way that's as followers of Jesus? Because look, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of the emphasis on the New Testament is emotional. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's all emotional. What does joy that's emotionless look like? Some of you are like, church. <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. It's emotional. Discipleship, following Jesus, is learning to bring our emotions to the table. To say, what beliefs are informing my emotions? And do those line up with what God has to say? Paul drops a bombshell of a belief in Romans 7, 1 through 6, of what should be informing our emotions. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Romans 7, 1 to 6. 
It's near the beginning of the New Testament. Romans 7, 1 through 6. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's word. Um, different churches have different practices that they do. Sometimes we practice this, sometimes we don't. But when I'm done reading this, I'll just say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can reply by saying, thanks be to God. And what that does is you're using your body, your vocal cords, your voice to express gratitude. That's different than if you didn't. So it may do something, it may not do anything, but just pay attention. That's what we're trying to do here, all right? Romans 7, 1 through 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters? Uh, for I'm speaking to those who do not know the law. Or excuse me, who know the law. That the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law. Uh, that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that. Like, what does this have to do with emotions? What are you talking about, bro? She's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law that were at work in us, so too we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. God, as we unpack your word and the message it has for us, help us to be attentive. God, we all have beliefs that shape our emotions. We feel things because that's how we're interpreting the world. God, help us to slow down, to bring those beliefs to you, Say, what do you think about this belief, God? God, I pray that you'd help us to see who you say we are, not what our experience tells us about ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat unless you just want to stand the whole time. That's fine, too. You be you. You and I uh, are who Paul's talking about in verse 1. He says, hey, look, I'm speaking to people who... who know the law. You and I are people who do not know the law, all right? We were, the majority of people in this room were not raised in a setting where we were under Torah. We're coming into this from a different perspective. So here's what Paul is trying to explain. He's saying, in Romans six fourteen, we are no longer under the external requirements for what the law required. We're no longer under external pressures to, to be something. We are under grace, Unmerited favor. Love should flow out of who we are. And here's how he explains that. He says, he said, Israel had a till death do us part relationship with the law. Israel had a to death do us part relationship with the law. Here's what that means. If you were a member of the nation of Israel, you had all these rules. You know, they're kind of typifying the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Now imagine this. You're like, you know what? 
I want to murder someone today. Right? People do that, I guess. And you know, I want to murder someone today. You're like, oh, no, 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 we can't. The law says don't murder. You're like, I don't feel like being under the law today. So you murder someone. And they bring you into court. And they're like, hey, you murdered someone. The law says don't murder. You're like, yeah, I just chose not to be under the law. That's not how it works. You're under the law till you die. You have a till death do us part relationship with the law. Right? You can't just be like, yeah, today I'm in, tomorrow I'm out. I just don't want to do that. No, no, no. It either is or it isn't. And so what Paul is saying is this. It's really good news for us. Wait, wait. So, so now do I have to like obey the law to please God? Look at what he says in verses um, 4. Verse 4. See, I've tried to illustrate here. Sometimes Paul can like meander a little bit. So the burgundy colored words are the heart of what he's saying. Brothers and sisters, you also died to the law that you might belong to another in order that we might bear fruit to God. What's he saying? Okay, we did have a till death do us part relationship with the law, but you died. You died. When Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. So you are no longer under the law. No longer. Right? It's like that 1991 hit movie with Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones, Double Jeopardy. If you're not familiar with the film, it's an odd film. But Ashley Judd is accused of killing her husband. He was a bad dude. And so she goes to jail for it. She gets out of jail and learns he wasn't dead. So she kills him. And it's like, well, double jeopardy, right? You can't be accused of the same lot. You know, you're good to go. That's what Paul's saying. Like, hey, you died to the law. That's an identity statement. You're not under these external forces, you died with Christ so that you may belong to another. That's the whole grace thing. Jesus says this, hey, I am for you. I'm yours. I'll, I'm going to take care of you. We died to the law so we can be alive to Christ. That's an identity statement. And what does he say? In order that we might bear fruit to God. Here's what Paul is saying. Fruit comes from being. We have been made alive to Jesus and that bears fruit. I, I don't have much of a green thumb. When we moved into our house, there was like a garden plot on it. And every year I'm like, this is the year. I'm going to grow things. And I start growing things and then they all die. I just don't get, I don't get it. It's not life-giving for me. I'm like, oh, I got to weed all this stuff. This is not fun, right? So I know a lot of you don't feel that way because I know that because like on mornings like this morning, you go around town and you see sheets all over everybody's yard. Right? Why is that? Because Missouri plays games with you. It's like, it's spring. Just kidding. You're like, ah! All right? So again, please keep in mind, the following illustration is coming from someone without a green thumb. Okay? But imagine I'm an apple tree. Okay? And this is how I'm going to grow apples as an apple tree. I say, okay. All right, apple tree. We went to a seminar where we made four easy payments of $39.95 to learn to grow fruit, all right? So here we go. It's spring. It's time to bear fruit. You're welcome. Here are my apples. Now, I don't know this, but I would imagine that is not what's happening. Apple trees just bear fruit because they're apple trees. That's what Paul is saying about us. We bear fruit for Jesus because we're made new. 
That's verses 5 and 6. This is amazing. In verses 5 and 6, he says, When we were in the realm of the flesh. What's that? The sinful passions that were aroused by the law were at work in us. What does he say? We were slaves to sin. We were in this area. What about now? But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released by the law so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. Being bears fruit. We don't bear fruit through just like, I'm going to bear fruit. Here we go. Here's love. Love. We just bear fruit. Why? Because it's who we are. It just comes out of who we are. You're like, uh uh-oh, I don't bear much fruit. I don't know if I'm really an apple tree. If that's how you're feeling right now, I would just strongly encourage you. I would strongly encourage you to go to youtube.com and type in random guitar solo invitations. There are a lot of videos where these like buskers will stay online and they'll, they have a guitar and they'll say, we'll give you $500 if you can give the best guitar solo. You learn a lot about human nature in these moments. There are basically two types of people in the world. There are some who come up to the, I'm like, I want to win $500. How good at guitar are you? I'm really good. Well, on a scale of zero to 10, what are you? I'm like an 11. All right. And they hand it to him and you get just nonsense. Like, it doesn't even sound, it's just noise. You're like, okay. And there's always another person who comes up. We'll give you $500 to play an amazing solo. Okay, I, I'll try. How good a guitar are you? I'm like a two. Okay. And they hand the guitar, and it's just like, you know, Clapton would be jealous. Like, you know, the guitar is gently weeping on, you know, the streets of London. You're like, wow. They thought they were two, and the other person thought they were ten. All that to say, we're not always great at self-assessment. Some of you are like, I'm not bearing fruit. You know, I, I, I was angry at my spouse this morning. We were trying to get to church. It's just so easy to see the negative. And you're letting your emotions shape this interpretation of Scripture. Do you trust Jesus? Yes. Then you bear fruit. I, I can't see it. Are you open to the perspective that others might be better at seeing things you're not? This is what this text says. Please, I am not making this up. Romans 7, 4. You also died. I don't feel dead. Well, on the cross, when Jesus died, you died with him. Right? That you might belong to another. Who? To him who was raised from the dead. Meaning what? You're alive. Why? In order that we might bear fruit for God. It just flows out of who we are. That's so counterintuitive. Our experience tells us if we want to bear fruit for God, we need to just try harder. Create more effort. Please. The New Testament is not anti-effort. At all. At all. But that's not the starting point. He's saying, you were once in this realm, now you're in this realm. And we need to be reminded of who we are. Our emotions, though, are our, how we are processing our experiences. And so if we're really going to be people who remind ourselves, this is what Paul's saying. He says this, we mature by reminding ourselves who and whose we are. We mature by cultivating our identity, not by focusing on fruit. Right? Like as a church, if we're like, man, we got a lot of good fruit this Sunday. What's that? Well, man, people were just really resonating with, with the talk. People were really into the worship. Let's just try to manufacture that. No, we're not responsible for fruit. 
We're responsible for, are we nourishing this tree? Are we making sure that it's, it's getting sunlight? Are we making sure it's, it's the soil is healthy? Are we getting rid of those pesky weeds? How do we nourish ourselves? We speak truth to our experiences. We speak truth to our emotions. Our emotions tell us one thing. We need, to, we need to speak truth to them. So way number one, we can just make this really practical. How do we be really practical with this? How do we be people who remind ourselves? Because sometimes our emotions disagree with what the Bible says. We have to ask what belief is behind this emotion. We need, when we start to feel things, I feel fear, I feel anger. We need to ask ourselves, well, what belief is behind that emotion? Imagine with me, you're cooking dinner at your house. At your house, dinner is normally ready by 5.30. That's when it's on the plate, we're ready to go. So you're making dinner, and you just hear all kinds of crashes and banging. You look at the clock, it's 6.45. People are crying. People are just, the kids are just screaming. There's no peace in this house. And your spouse comes up to you and says, can you help me at all? Now, there's two reactions to that, possible. Many reactions, but two. One, some of us get angry in those moments. Help you? What do you think I'm doing? I'm like Emerald Agassi here. I'm trying to feed these people. Right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not just like sitting around watching YouTube. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to get the dinner ready. I just, you know, I just yelled at a kid who poked another kid's eye out. Like, I'm really, what do you mean? What? Emotions come up. The other one can be, though, like a fear that could lead like codependence. You're right, I'm not doing enough. I'm sorry, what do you need? What do you need? I just want to keep you happy. That's a discipleship, spiritual formation moment. Beliefs and messages are informing that moment. The, 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 the anger moment can be fueled by a fear, you think I'm inadequate. You don't think I'm enough. So, oh, there's the belief. And, and, and the codependency one can be like, man, if, if, if I push back, if I tell what I'm really feeling, I'll get rejected. Oh, okay, we have two beliefs. What, is, what does emotional maturity look like? It looks like taking those beliefs to God's word. God, I fear I'm inadequate. And God, I fear if I let people know what I'm really thinking, they'll reject me. Two beliefs. What does God's word say about that? Romans 7, 4. You also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. We are loved and cared for by Jesus. We're dearly loved children of God. He looks and says, mine. I'm here to meet your needs. I'm here to care for you. So that message of inadequacy, I'm not enough. Well, I'm enough that Jesus died for me and says, mine. I'll take care of your needs. Okay, that belief might not line up with God's word. And then the message of like, if people know who I really am, I'll be rejected. No, no, no. I, I died so that I might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That's also a belief driving emotions. Man, Scripture speaks into both of those things. And what happens? We bear fruit. The process of doing that is fruit. You want to bear fruit in your life? Get curious about your emotions. What beliefs are driving what I do? Is it people-pleasing? That is an external force in our lives that can drive our behavior. 
people-pleasing. Paul says we are no longer under external forces that drive our behavior. We are under unmerited favor. Well, but a lot of times, though, my emotions disagree with what the Bible says. What, what do I do? Paul goes on to talk about this, actually, in Romans 7. He says we have sin in our members. What are members? They're our body parts, okay? We have, we, it's muscle memory is what Paul's saying. Uh, if, if, when was the last time anybody in here rode a bike? If any of you, if you haven't ridden a bike in the last five years, just like, okay, I have a high degree of confidence that if you haven't ridden a bike in the past five years, we can take you downstairs, we can sit you on my bicycle, and you'll be able to pick it up real fast. Why is that? Are you cognitively thinking, okay, I've got to balance myself and I've got to be careful. I remember when I steer to the left, my body's slightly leaning to the left, so I've got to overcompensate, keep my center of gravity here. No, it's in your muscle memory. Paul's saying sin is in our muscle memory. Because in verse 5, we used to live in the flesh. And that just, that just sticks around, right? So when someone comes at us and says, why do you do that? Our muscle memory says, I'm not enough. I've got to prove I'm enough. Anger! And Paul's like, no, no, you're just not living in reality. You already are new. Jesus has made you new. You are a new being and a being that bears fruit. And the challenging thing is our experience, our emotions don't always line up with that. And so there's a practice that I've learned to do that has been really helpful for how do we bring those things in line. And it, it's, it starts with we celebrate fruit and we redeem the false. Look with me at verse 5. Celebrate fruit, redeem the false. When you were in the realm of the flesh, so you're not now. When you were, sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, and that bore fruit to death. But now, by being released to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. God's Spirit is living in us and working, whether we're aware of it or not. What does that mean? That means that every emotional experience we have, every emotional experience has both God's presence in it and us in it and our old way of learning how to do things. So take you back to dinner time. When you get angry that nobody's grateful for like the culinary excellence you bring to your house, when nobody's grateful for that and you get angry that is both infused with Jesus in you, the Spirit, and your old way of doing things. Like, how in the world can that be good? What are you talking about? We want to live in a place where people are cultivating connection. Sin isolated, the gospel reconciles, brings us back together. So we're going around trying to cultivate connection. And it's frustrating when connection is just missed. That's the Spirit of God at work in you. And so your anger, is your anger about a good, man, I want this family to be connected. I want there to be joy around this table. Because this is what's true. You're trying to integrate that. It's also infused with the muscle memory from the way you used to do things. Right? How often, we think, I mean, we think, man, this righteous anger, I'm, I'm so righteously angry about the laws of God's kingdom being broken. And I also get very righteously angry that the laws of another kingdom are being broken. The laws of my kingdom. Because in my kingdom, everyone is so grateful when dad comes home from work and is like, all right, dad's going to cook tonight. 
Oh man, I'm going to just introduce some spice into your life. You're going to love these udon noodles. Oh man, I, I like, I, I've never seen garlic cut so well. You know, you people, you, 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 you have no idea how good you have it. You're living in just a culinary wonder world and all you care about are darts. May not have a lot to do with the kingdom of God. May more have to do with my kingdom. So we need to learn to celebrate fruit. Hey God, in that anger, here's what I saw you doing. Here's the good work. Here's the fruit I saw being produced. As a new creation dad, just navigating life. Here's what you were doing that I wasn't even aware of and I celebrate that. Hey God, here's something that needs to be redeemed in me. As I try to create connection, I can very quickly make it about me. And so God, I need help navigating this. That's called discipleship. That's called spiritual formation. And as followers of Jesus, when we live in those spaces, that takes effort. It is way easier to just blow through life. It's like, don't worry about it. All right, just keep moving forward. Our commitment as a church is that we're going to prioritize spiritual health even at the sake of speed and mission. We are not trying to do inflatable church around here. Right? Where we just set it up and pop, 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 pop. Woohoo! No, we know that when we get people into the room, we all bring our stories. We all bring those, those things that we believe that are not true, that are not being informed by Scripture and the Spirit of God. We, we bring those with us. And the fruit of that is conflict. And we're saying we want to be a healthy community who prioritizes spiritual health as we try to reach our city, as we try to create space for our neighbors who are far from God. We're going to be people who prioritize health. They're two sides of a ladder. They're not at odds with each other. I think I, I just also want to be so careful in what you hear me saying. When we talk about emotional maturity, there are seasons of our life where we have to just, where it's a, you know, Christian life is a marathon. There are seasons where we have to get out of the, off the racetrack and get help for all of us, all right? In the first service, I was talking with someone, I was talking about emotional maturity. They're like, yeah, but what about trauma? What about people who experience trauma? Are you saying they're emotionally immature or spiritually immature? I'm like, whoa. And if you hear me saying that, I just, to, I just want to be really clear. We are not anti-expert around here. We are not anti, we all need help. No, 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 no. What we're, our goal is we want to have our love be without hypocrisy. And it has to include our emotional life with it. And there are times for all of us where we need help. And so part of the reason that we've made this divide, I remember I was teaching this as a class and there was a therapist in the class who I, when I asked the question, can we be emotionally immature and spiritually mature? And they just did not have a category for that. Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The emotions are not even in the realm of the church at all. Like, that's not our focus. Part of the reason people think that, and we can wrestle with it, is because of this friend we talked about last week, Sigmund Freud, or again, as pictured here, Pink Freud. I just want to be so crystal clear about my baggage with Freud. Freud, he's often called the father of psychoanalysis. Freud was operating with a worldview that was not a biblical worldview of how humans are. 
He pushed a lot of theories that he just declared were to be scientific, and there was no way you could verify them. He was more of a social scientist than he was a scientist. He would just make theories, and he did a ton of damage. He did a lot of good, a lot of cool, and he's a father of psychoanalysis, but a lot of bad things came out from Freud's theory. So, like, for example, he, he talked about human beings are driven by these drives, right? So, and if you're familiar with Freud, it was basically the drive to, like, kill your dad and sleep with your mom. So it was basically, we're driven by drives like sex, and we're driven by fear of death. And so what happened was, a lot of World War I vets had PTSD, trauma. They saw things they should have never seen, and they were traumatic. And Freud and his disciples were like, well, you know why you're like that? Because you just have this drive to kill things. And it's like, oh. And so you have people who are in trauma, like, oh yeah, that's probably right. And it made it way worse. Because part of that was, he was driven by a worldview that was not informed by Scripture at all. And so what we've done as a church is we've divided. Well, the care of souls, that's for professionals. And you see that happen. The church has tried to respond in a rubber band too far the other way. We're like, you know what we just need to do? We just need to throw Bible verses at people and they'll get better. So mental health, hey, be anxious for nothing. Boop, boop. All right. We're not anti-experts around here at all. After Freud died, psychoanalysis went into two different, like, ways. Uh, Freud's daughter took it the way of Freud, and these two, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, took it a different way. A way that is, I think, much more in line with the biblical worldview of how human beings are created. It's called attachment theory. Attachment theory says we're shaped by our relationship, specifically relationship with caregivers. With, so trauma is when bad things that shouldn't have happened to us happen to us. That's trauma. Trauma is also when good things that should have happened to us didn't. That's also traumatic. And trauma hinders our growth, and it creates these filters with which we see God. This is, we're, we're moved away from Bowlby and Ainsworth at this point. This is now the Bible. So if we've experienced life, and our caregivers are not there for us, we're like, hey, I need help. You're those crying babies. You're, I need help. And no one answers that cry. Well, who's God. He's a faraway clockmaker. He made everything and he just set it to go. Uh, John Bowlby was walking through an orphanage of kids who had just been abandoned. And he's walking in England and he's walking through and there's no crying. And, and he's like, well, what's going on? Why? You know, and the, the psychologists, they were like, see, it's fine. These kids are, they're, they're not crying. And he's like, no. I actually think they've stopped crying because they know no one's going to hear from them. They know no one's coming. There are people in this room with stories of caregivers who have never attended to your needs. That you ask for help and it's met with, well, you being weak? No, 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 I got, I got my own stuff to worry about. No. And as a result, we see God through that filter. And the process of discipleship is saying, God, I have a filter and I just need you to, is this who you are? Is this real. And we are all on that journey. Nobody gets the love and care they need growing up. It's just part of living in a fallen world. And we have to work so hard to remind ourselves, God, you are not like the people I have experienced. And so we're going to be talking about, we're going to be providing tools in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about Stephen ministry. What do we do when we need to just get off the track and just say, I need help. 
Like, I'm just, it's just not working. I need help. There are men and women who have sat through lots of training who just are trained to listen and hear and be an empathic voice in your life. We also can refer you to counselors. We are not anti-expert around here. Like, a lot of damage gets done when someone's like, oh, what's that? I got it. Don't worry. Whoa. And we also believe that the care of souls is the business of the church. Or as Dr. Todd Hall says, we learn all this psychology to give it to the church to say, hey, be resourced, care, care for people. And so we are, as a church, saying we deeply value emotional maturity. It cannot be divorced from our spiritual maturity. It's part of our core competencies for leaders around here. You can't be a leader and be emotionally unaware. You can't. It's written down somewhere. We, we hold people to account in this. Our hope as a church, as we seek to create space for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story, that growth part is where we learn to say, the filters through which I'm seeing life, Jesus, I put those in your hands. Is this belief driving this emotion from you or is this from me? That's a process, but it's a process we're going to go on together. We are not alone. We are relational people made in the image of a relational God, and we're going we're gonna to get there together. Father in heaven, I pray as we as a church seek to remind ourselves who and whose we are, I pray that we would be reminded we're not doing this alone. Your spirit dwells in us. We bear fruit because the author of life has made his home in us. God, I pray in these moments as we, as we settle into this, I pray that we would just remove distractions and, and ask what it is you'd want us to name that's going on inside us. What beliefs are shaping our perception of you? How do we be people who truly bring our emotions to the feet of Jesus and ask for help? I ask all these things in his name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.